Our speaker today is Joe Simon, a member of New Hope Community Church. To know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Okay, so my name is Chuck Wilson, and I won't be here long today. I have a special guest speaker. Last week was Resurrection Easter Sunday, and so as a result of that, we decided to have a special speaker. Joe Simon will be speaking about the Messianic prophecies of Jesus Christ, especially the ones that pertain to his resurrection. This is so fascinating, unbelievable prophecies in the Old Testament. So next week, I'll be back again with the life of Elisha. And I'm also going to connect to Resurrection Easter Sunday with something from the life of Elisha, doing something special with that too. But uh, that will be next week. But today, we're excited to have Joe. Come on up, Joe. And uh, come on down, I guess, Joe. And we'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Chuck. Now, where do I do this? Yeah, just clip that. Right here? Yeah, that's good. Okay. okay. That on there good? Hearing me good? Yeah. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, I want to say that it is an honor and a privilege for me to talk to you today about this subject. Um, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us Jesus. Um, Lord, in the way that he has presented himself to us, we should be so attentive. Um, Lord, help us to receive all of your word that you want to speak to us. Lord, that we would think about things that are in our life, our attitudes, our sinful behaviors, that we need to confess, um, that we need to acknowledge, so that we would not let anything get in the way of our relationship with you and anything that we would receive from you today. Lord, your word also says that um, how much will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, Lord, we ask today that you would fill us with your Spirit so that by the power of the Spirit we would have the, the ability to understand what you're saying from your word today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start off with a verse from uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 46. But before I do that, I just want to explain something uh, technical. Uh, if you're watching by laptop or uh, phone, uh, what you should do is maybe open up another browser um, you can hit the tab uh, at the top. It's the plus sign next to, or cross, uh, next to the tab that you have open. And it opens up another tab. And then you can put, uh, you can go to BibleHub.com or you could go to BibleGateway.com. And as I cite a scripture verse, you can type in the scripture verse. You could stop the video and type in the scripture verse and see what it is that I'm referring to from the scripture. That's the beauty of doing this by video. You can stop the video and um, look up the scriptures that I'm referring to. So right now it's uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 46. So you can pause the video now and look that up. Okay, so if you've done that, 
Um, here is these three verses. Now, just to give you some context, um, this is after the resurrection and Jesus has appeared to the apostles. And G verse 44 says, Jesus said to them, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. He then opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So Jesus is having this conversation with his apostles after he's risen. And he is saying that I spoke these words to you before the death and resurrection. In other words, you should have known I was going to rise from the dead. Um, but he says something additional to, in addition to, he told them while he was with them, he says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Which means there is information about the resurrection in the Old Testament. Very detailed information. And that's what we're going to look up today. Um, but before I do that, I just want to show you many places where Jesus said to the apostles in the Gospels about the Son of Man being handed over to the Gentiles, being put to death, suffering and being put to death, and rising on the third day. Again, you can stop the video after I say each verse to look it up. We have Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew chapter 17, verse 23. Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. Matthew chapter 26, verse 61. Mark 14, verse 58. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Luke chapter 18, verse 33. Luke chapter 24, verse 7. And John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Congratulations to those of you who stopped after each and every one of those scriptures and looked them all up. If you did not, it's okay. You get the idea. Jesus told the apostles many, many times about his death and resurrection. We also have a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4. And this is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to the Corinthian church. And he says that he was buried and he was raised up on the third day. And here's the part of the verse that is important. According to the scriptures. Now, just let me say this. When Paul was writing that letter to the Corinthians, there was no New Testament. There were no Gospels written the letters were written, but they weren't put into a collection called the New Testament. Paul saying, according to the scriptures, to the Corinthian church, means one thing. The Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament scripture. 
So what I want to say uh, about the Old Testament scripture regarding the resurrection on the third day is that there is no place in the Old Testament that says verbatim that the Messiah will die and be raised up on the third day. I just want to, that to be clear that what we're about to uncover in the Old Testament with regard to the resurrection is not a verbatim phrase about suffering, dying, being raised up on the third day. Um, so let's, let's dive into some of the verses in the Old Testament that talk about resurrection in general. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 12 and 13, the Lord says, You, my people, will know that I am Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. So there's a verse in Ezekiel that talks about God resurrecting um, his people. Now, of course, that can't happen unless Jesus is resurrected. So there is a, a verse about resurrection. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, God's people will be raised from the dead. Now, in Leviticus chapter 23, around verse 10, we get a description of the feast of the first fruits. Now, this is fulfilled by the resurrection, and the commentary on that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, verse 20. Um, so we're going to read, well, let's read that. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 20 says, and let me get it up here because, all right. Um, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits uh, for those who have fallen asleep. And, and if you look at the cross-references, there are cross-references to Leviticus chapter 23. So the, the, the Feast of the First Fruits was to be a prophetic description of the resurrection. And that would be Leviticus chapter 23. Look around verse 10. So in Psalm uh, 16, verse 10, we have a very famous uh, resurrection prophecy. Uh, Psalm 16.10 reads, um, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now, remember that word Sheol, because we're going to see it uh, a few times more. Um, it is a reference to, the, the, to, the, to death. It is a reference to, in this case, um, Jesus' body and soul being put into the grave. Um, and the description of your Holy One is definitely Jesus. Uh, you will let your whole, you will, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Your Holy One, every, every commentary on this verse says the Holy One is referring to the Messiah. And it's very important that we understand that Jesus' body, even though Jesus died and was he had suffered and he died and he was buried his body did not decay so that's psalm 16 verse 10 talking about jesus being brought out of sheol and his body not being decayed he was examined by thomas 
and Thomas didn't, you know, find a patch of gangrene or, or anything like that. He had scars, but he did not, his body did not decay from death. So now we have uh, Psalm 49, verse 9, Psalm 49, verse 15, and Psalm 86, verse 13. So let's, let's look at those. Psalm 49, 9 says, uh, starting with verse 8, For the redemption of his soul is costly, and never can payment suffice, that he should live on forever and not see decay. So that's verse 9. Then in verse 15, we have, The upright will rule them in the morning, and their form will decay and Sheol far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem my life from Sheol, for he will surely take me to himself. So we have a verse that is talking about a life that is taken from Sheol and not decayed. And that is a picture of the resurrection. And we have Psalm 86. Um, Psalm 86, verse 13. Uh, starting with verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your loving devotion to me. You have delivered me from the depths of Sheol. And so we look at that and then we see in Acts chapter 2 references to these verses. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 24. We're going to go all the way to verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. This is Peter talking to the crowd, releasing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its clutches. That's an interesting phrase. It was impossible for Christ to be held in the clutches of death. David says about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Um, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also, all, my body also will dwell in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in, in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you with confidence, this is, uh, Peter saying this, with that the patriarch David died. And was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. He says, but the, he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him and on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. So this is, David is talking about someone who will not see decay, but David died and his body decayed. And Peter says, you know, this is, can't be about David because well, let's just go to David's tomb. We know where he's buried. We know his body is decayed. So Peter is making the case here in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 to 30, that the, the body that's, in, in, that's been rescued from Sheol, that, has, that is not seeing decay, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we also have Acts chapter 13, verses 30, 32 to 37. And he says, and now we proclaim to you the good news, what God ha promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us 
their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. In fact, God raised him from the dead, never to see decay, as he has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings I promised to David. So also, he says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He died. His body was buried and decayed with his father's. I'm sorry. His, his body was buried with his father's and saw decay. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. So we have Psalm 49.9, 49.15, 86.13, nine, all prophecies of the resurrection fulfilled in the resurrection by the resurrection of Jesus and affirmed in Acts chapter 2 verses 24 to 30 and Acts chapter 13 verses 32 to 37. We're going to move on to Psalm 22. Now, many of you know Psalm 22 and you know Psalm 22 as a description of the crucifixion and you would be right, it is. For 21 verses of Psalm 22, we have a very detailed description of the crucifixion. Um, so we know that the Psalm 22 is about uh, a servant of God who is being suffering, is being tortured, um, and for a great purpose. And um, there is, uh, I, I want to say this about Psalm 22 and Isaiah, we're going to get to Isaiah 52 and 53. There is more detail about the suffering and crucifixion of Christ in the Old Testament than there is in the Gospels. So if you want to know all the, uh, all the aspects of Christ's suffering, how, his, how he was, how he was uh, tortured by the Romans, uh, how his soul suffered, the purpose in his suffering, it's all Psalm 22 and Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, is 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 all there for us to appreciate what Jesus did for us in his suffering and death on the cross. But when we get to uh, verse 22, this person that has been described in Psalm 22 um, in the first 21 verses is now very much alive. I'm not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to start with verse 27, Psalm 22, verse 27, read to 31. All the ends, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth, rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even those who even those unable to preserve their lives. Posterity will serve him. They will declare the Lord to a new generation. They will come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, all that he has done. By the way, that's us being declared to a people yet unborn. That's us. That's the church. And we see at the end of Psalm 22, we see the person in the first 21 verses is very much alive and Lord and worshiped and proclaimed to be righteous. That is a picture of the resurrection of the of Christ, who is described in the first 21 verses, 
the description is obviously the, the suffering and death of Christ. And then we're going to also look at Isaiah chapter 53. Now, I'm not going to read the the first uh, nine verses of 53, nor am I going to read the, the uh, 52, but that is also a place where you can see a lot of description of the suffering of Christ. But in verse 10, we have 10, 11, and 12, Isaiah 53, 10, 11, and 12, we have a description of, of the resurrection. Um, starting halfway through verse 10, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the anguish of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. We know that to be Jesus. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. Those would be the two thieves on each side of him. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, and, and of course, transgressors, generally speaking, is all sinners. Um, he made intercession for all sinners. Um, we see that, that, that he is now, uh, he sees the light of life. Um, he will justify many. Uh, he will be he will he will be allotted a portion with the great. Um, and and so this is a picture of his resurrection. He if he doesn't come back from the dead, then none of this is 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 right. So we see a picture of the resurrection in Isaiah fifty three verses ten through twelve. And finally, a very famous verse in um, Psalm one eighteen. Verses, verse 22, we have a very famous verse. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And of course, if it, how does the rejected stone become the cornerstone if, if the rejected stone is dead and has never come back to life? This is a picture that Jesus becoming the cornerstone. The cornerstone of what? The cornerstone was the foundation stone. He has become the stone on which the church has is has been built. Um, he he uh, the, Jesus said that if you build your rock on if you build your 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 house on sand, it will fall apart. But if you build your house on the rock, it will it will be able to stand up against storms. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the cornerstone. This is verified. This this prophecy of the resurrection is verified in Matthew chapter 21 verse 42, Mark chapter 12 verse 10, Luke chapter 20 verse 17, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 4 verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, and 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 7. This is a verse from the Old Testament that God really wants us to know. Mentioned at least six times in the New Testament. So those are all pictures from the Old Testament uh, of resurrection uh, prophecy. And now we're going to get into a, a, a very strong type uh, in the person of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Abraham and Melchizedek have a meeting. Uh, it's very interesting 
that Melchizedek is called the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, but he was also a priest of the Most High God. Now, you can check the scripture from beginning to end. There is no one else in the scripture that is both a priest and a king, except for Jesus Christ. So he is definitely a type of Christ. Now, there is no record of Melchizedek's genealogy. It says this in Hebrews. There is no record of his genealogy, of his birth, of his early life, of his death. And yet, over and over, in Psalm 110, verse 4, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, and Hebrews chapter 7, verse 17, it says that Melchizedek lives forever. Well, that certainly is a picture of the resurrection. So in Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews makes a direct connection to Jesus being the high priest according to the, to the, 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 the priesthood of Melchizedek. Not Leviticus, Melchizedek. And so Jesus was able to make offering for sin as a high priest, but he's also a king. So we see in Hebrews, um, you read Hebrews chapter 5, 6. I think I'm going to, let's, let's take a look at that. Hebrews, well, let's start with verse, uh, seven, uh, verse 17 in, ver- in chapter 7. Starting with verse 16, one who has become a priest not by the law of succession, but by the power of an indestructible life. That certainly sounds like eternal life. For it is testified, you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, we have the same, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, we have the same thing. Uh, starting with verse 5 in Hebrews chapter 5. So Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but he was called by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God says, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So we see that Melchizedek is a type of Christ who lives forever in the Old Testament, And he has a lot of the same characteristics of Jesus. Uh, Interestingly, when he meets with Abraham, he brings out bread and wine. And we know that bread and wine were elements that Jesus brought out at the Last Supper. And um, being a priest and a king. Also, uh, king of Jerusalem. Jesus will be king of Jerusalem one day. These are all types of Christ. And these are all types of the resurrection. So let's move on to the specific part of 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and the Luke 24, 46, where it says specifically rising on the third day. Does the Old Testament address the third day detail? Well, it sure does. Last week, Pastor Chuck uh, spoke about um, Elisha raising a child. It was in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we have a comment on this raising of a child in 2 Kings chapter 8. And 
um, it is it is um, Elisha's servant in Second King ch- chapter eight says, well, just to review, a woman child dies, she goes to Elisha, Elisha comes and raises the child from the dead. Now, Elisha's servant was there. Elisha's servant later on is in the court of the king of Samaria, and he's talking about Elisha. And he says that Elisha raised the child from the dead, but the child had been dead for two days. Well, you say, well, that's two days. Well, Jesus was dead for two days. He was dead Friday. He was dead Saturday. But Jesus was dead on Sunday, but on Sunday he rose. So the child was dead for two days, but he was raised on the third day. So that is a picture of the third day uh, resurrection. Every time we look, we see in the Old Testament a third day, it's always a good thing, a resurrection, bringing back to life, bringing uh, up to the house of the Lord. We're going to see that in Hosea uh, chapter 6, verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his presence. That sure sounds like resurrection to me. He will raise us up that we may live in his presence. So that's Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, talking about the third day. Um, And now we have 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. Um, God says, I will surely heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the house of the Lord. Again, third day, after being healed, going up to the house of the Lord, that sounds like a type of resurrection on the third day. But now we're going to get into two very, very big types uh, talked about in the Old Testament of the resurrection on the third day. One of them, Jesus references directly. So the first one we're going to talk about that Jesus references directly is Jonah. Now I enjoy, I enjoy the book of Jonah. It's a short book. Um, it's a serious book, but there seems to be, I, I derive some humor in it, even though it's a very serious book. Just to let you know who Jonah was, um, there's, there's, there's children's songs, Jonah and the belly of the whale. Um, what was Jonah doing in the belly of the whale? Well, let's start out that there was a place near where Jonah lived called Nineveh. The Ninevites were wicked, evil people. And God said to Jonah, his prophet, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that if they don't repent, that God, God said, I'm going to destroy them. Tell them I'm going to destroy them. Well, Jonah had a very interesting reaction to that. He did not like the Ninevites. He wanted God to destroy them. But uh, he knew if he went and warned them, there was a chance that they might repent and God would be gracious to them and merciful to them and not destroy them. And he wanted God to destroy them. So he thought, well, if I don't go to Nineveh, they'll never hear the warning. They won't repent and God will destroy them. So Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He ends up on a boat in the Mediterranean Sea and a great storm uh, is tossing the boat and the sailors on the boat figure out that 
somebody on the boat must have caused God to do this. And Jonah volunteers the, the, the truth and says, it's me, it's me. I'm running from something that God wants me to do. Uh, so toss me overboard. And as soon as they toss Jonah overboard, the sea calms down, the sun comes out. And interestingly, Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. He Jonah sees the sailors on on the boat praising God and offering sacrifices as he's treading water, you know, still defiant, still rebellious. Aren't we like that sometimes? Um, and while he's treading water, watching these sailors uh, uh, praising God for calming the storm, all of a sudden from beneath him, he's swallowed by a great fish. And some people say that the temperature inside this fish may have been well over 100 degrees. Uh, certainly stomach acid from the fish may have uh, lightened Jonah's skin to a, a, a much lighter, maybe whiter skin color. Um, but it took Jonah three days to finally give up and uh, agree to go to Nineveh. I'm not sure it would have taken me that much time. I think it probably would have taken me three seconds, maybe three minutes. But certainly I wouldn't have stayed in the belly of a fish for three days before I repented. But that's why it's a little humorous. Jonah was very stubborn. So Jonah gives us this time frame that he was in the belly of the, of the fish for three days and three nights. That's in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. It is a hint that three in three days, Jonah will rise from the belly of Sheol. So that's in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. And let's read that. In verse 2, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the belly of Sheol. I called for help, and you heard my voice. Now, remember I said before about Sheol? We're going to hear that. We're hearing it now, that, that, that Jonah was in the belly of a whale, and he referred to it as, hell or sheol um hebrew for the word sheol is place of the dead um hades is is the greek word jesus connects all of this for us um so if you're in any doubt whether this is you know a, a real a prophetic um type of the resurrection jesus leaves us with no doubt he said he says for us in um a parallel of Jonah's deliverance from she from Sheol is this. An evil uh, an adulterous generation will seek a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is Jesus talking. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that would be Jesus, be in the in, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So where we have Jesus saying the heart of the earth, that's Sheol. And that's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. Now, Jonah got spat out of or vomited out of, uh, of Sheol or Hades um, on the third day. And Jesus uh, rose on the third day. So this became a sign. This became a sign to the Ninevites. This became a sign to the Jews um, that resurrection happens on the third day. Um, Jonah became a sign to his generation. Um, 
and Jesus became a sign to his generation. And we see that in Luke uh, chapter 11, verse 30. And let's read that. Jesus says, None, no sign will be given. The, 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 the crowds were demanding a sign. He said, no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so the Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. So Jesus makes that connection for us. We have the type of the resurrection in the, in the, in the narrative of Jonah being in Sheol for three days but being taken out of Sheol, coming back to life on the third day. And now we're going to talk about probably the most, um, I would say this, this one is definitely the most emotional type of, of, uh, of resurrection on the third day narrative that we have from the Old Testament. It's my favorite. Um, and this is in the narrative of Abraham offering up Isaac uh, well, it was, it was, it was, it was something that God told Abraham to do. In Genesis chapter 22, God decides to test Abraham's faith. He commands Abraham to, to, uh, offer up his son, his only son, as a sacrifice. And why did God do this? Well, because God was setting up a picture of him offering up his only son, Jesus. Isaac is, is described as Abraham's only son. If you have studied the Old Testament, you know that Abraham had, had a child with his concubine, whose name was Ishmael. And Abraham also, after Sarah died, remarried and had other children. But God refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. Maybe having something to do with the fact that it was a miraculous birth because Abraham and Sarah were way past the years of giving birth to a child. And this was Isaac was, was God's, by God's definition, Abraham's only son, only son whom he loved. This is in Genesis chapter 22, verse two. And we know that Jesus is God's only begotten son from the famous John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Another, another uh, detail in this narrative is that um, Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his back. Um, and, and, and he would be laid on this wood. This is the wood that would be where he would be slain. He would be, he would be put to death by slitting his throat just as as they did for the for the animals in the sacrifice and he would be burned on this on this wood this John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son another another uh detail in this narrative is that um Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice on his back um uh, and 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 he would be laid on this wood this is the wood that would be where he would be slain he would be he would be put to death by slitting his throat just as as they did for the for the animals in the sacrifice and he would be burned on this on this wood on this altar of wood and that's in genesis chapter 22 verse 6 and um we have 
John 19.17. John 19.17 says this. That carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which is Aramaic, Aramaic for Golgotha. We have Jesus carrying his own cross, the wood of the cross. So we see that similarity between Isaac and Jesus in carrying the wood for their sacrifice. Um, so he asks, Isaac asks Abraham, his father, he says, here is the wood for the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? And Abraham replies, and this is something, if you follow the Hebrew, you'll see it, 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 it translates this way. Abraham says, in, re, in response to uh, Isaac's question, he says, God will provide himself the sacrifice for the offering. Now, just so that you know, where Abraham and Isaac were, were Mount Moriah, Golgotha, the place of the skull, um, is at the very end of the mountain range of Mount Moriah. So this is the same mountain as Abraham and Isaac, where Jesus was crucified. And, and Abraham says, God will provide himself the sacrifice for the offering. That's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. So we know that God spares Abraham's son. He tells Abraham not to harm Isaac. And then miraculously, a, a, a ram or a, a lamb is, is caught in the thicket and they, 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 they um, sacrifice the, the animal instead of Isaac. Um, he, and, and Abraham passed the test. He was willing, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he knew something and we're going to get to that. So God spared Abraham's son, but God did not spare his own son and delivered him up for all of us. And that is found in Romans chapter eight, verse 32. So here are some clues that Abraham knew that Isaac was going to live through all of this. Even if he put Isaac to death, Isaac would have to be resurrected. He said to his servant, and we have this in, in Genesis chapter 2, 5, he tells his servant that both he and Isaac will return. The writer in Hebrews, in referring to this, seems to infer that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. <coughs> and here's what Hebrews eleven nineteen says. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Isaac was offered up, figuratively speaking, he was raised from the dead. Genesis 22 describes the time frame for Isaac's figurative death and resurrection. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two men with him, and his son Isaac. He went to the place God had told him to. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Genesis chapter 22, verses 3 and 4. It is this typology, what happened to Jesus literally happened to Isaac figuratively. His father received him back from the dead on the third day. According to Genesis 22, 4, it happened on the third day. So when the scripture says, according when, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 4, when Jesus says in Luke 24, 46, uh, that the, the, the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. We have plenty from the Old Testament that affirms that 
prophecy. And we know that Jesus, in that conversation that he had with the apostles in Luke 24, is basically saying, you know, I, I told you myself, but you should have even been able to derive this from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So God wants us to see the resurrection in the Old Testament. But why? Why does he want us to see the, the resurrection so badly? What, just because of the, the event of the resurrection? Just because God could say, okay, well, here's uh, the resurrection. Um, see, I did it. That's it. See, I rose from the dead. See? Ain't I special? Now, yes, we should see that, but that's not all there is to the resurrection. There is an, there is a, a, an impact on believers from the resurrection. And that's what I'm going to talk about now. Let me just make, make the point about this impact. God doesn't want you to stop believing, stop at believing, that Jesus rose from the dead. So in other words, you say, Jesus rose from the dead. I already believe this. Joe, you're wasting my time. I've known this already. Well, knowing that Jesus rose from the dead and believing it is good, but there's so much more to your faith that comes from this. The resurrection is God's demonstration that he is the source of all life. Jesus was dead and raised himself from the dead, from the dead, of his own power. Only the source of life can do that. Nobody has been able to raise themselves from the dead. By the way, everybody who was raised from the dead in the word of God, we had Elijah raise a, a boy. We had Elisha raise a boy. We had Jesus, the most famous of all, raise Lazarus from the dead. We had uh, Peter raise uh, Tabitha from the dead. Um, at the, in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus dies on the cross, we hear a, a verse in Matthew that says that the dead came out of the graves and walked around the city and were observed by people. And then Matthew says nothing more about that. Thank you, Matthew. We would have liked to have heard a few more details about that. But in any event, all of those people that were raised from the dead eventually died. None of them are still living. Jesus is the only one who has been resurrected from the dead did not see decay and has never died again and he will never die again. That is a powerful, powerful thing that God wants you to know. He is the source of all life. If you have put your life in his hands, know that he has the power of life. Your life cannot be stolen from you. Your life cannot be shortened by anyone. Only God is the giver of life. So he wants you to know that he's the source of all life. And knowing this in times of testing is crucial. And I think that we all realize that we're in a time of testing. And it's crucial to know that our life is, is not our own. Our life is in the hands of our creator. Our life is in the hands of Jesus. Sharing this, not just knowing it for yourself, but sharing this with other believers is a very important thing for you to do especially other believers who are going through tough trials and tests. It's a very powerful thing for you to do for your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to share the power of the resurrection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because once they realize their life is in his hands, their circumstances may not look as dark. 
and of course proclaiming the power of the resurrection to unbelievers uh, gives them the information that they would need to change them from darkness, from hell, from a destiny of hell and, and, and eternal separation from God, to light, to heaven, to eternal union with God. The power of the resurrection is the message we want to give to unbelievers and is the, is the most influential thing when it comes to whether believers will believe in Christ or not. Certainly, if Christ did not rise from the dead, nobody would believe that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah. So I want to talk about specifically how the life of Christ is put into us and how the life of Christ is manifest in us. So if we look at the, if we do a little short study of, of the Holy Spirit, we will see this. Uh, in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, uh, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of life-giving water. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit for those who believed in him. They were going to receive it. But at this time, the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The only way that we can receive the Holy Spirit of God is as if Jesus rose from the dead and was and is glorified. Then we can receive the Holy Spirit. At the time that Jesus was teaching this in John chapter 7, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 50, 60 years later when he's writing this gospel, says when Jesus said that, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. But Jesus is saying, this is the source of life-giving water, rivers of life-giving water. So you want to have life? Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have life more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to have life? Turn to Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 20. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. That he may be with you forever. That's eternity. That, the, that is the spirit of truth. Truth. You want to know what's true and what's not true? You have to follow the, the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who the world cannot receive. You have to know Christ to receive the Holy Spirit. Because he does not, be, because the world does not behold him nor knows him. But you know him because he lives with you and he will be, he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while. The world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. There's life. You shall live also. Because Jesus lives, we live. In that day, you shall know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. The reason why we have life is because we are in Christ. We are not standing afar, looking at Christ in the distance and say, I believe that guy. I believe that guy is life. I believe he's God. No, we're in Christ. We're not standing off from afar. We're in Christ. And that is how we have his life within us. Um, so 
John 14, 16, and 7 is, is very specific about that. Um, he will be, the counselor will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26, I have spoken all of this while I was with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You want to be reminded of the word of God? Trust the Holy Spirit to bring the word of God to your remembrance. That is the power of the resurrection. God has given you his life. He has given you his spirit of life. And he will bring his word to your remembrance. His, his word that is pertinent to whatever situation you're going through. He will bring it to your, your consciousness so that you can apply the truth of God's word to your circumstances. That's life. That's the life of God. That's the life of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27 says this, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you want to pray more effectively, you have to understand that it is the resurrection of Christ that allows the Spirit of God to pray through us and intercede for us to have effective prayer. And so to sum all of this up, um, Romans chapter 8 verse 11 is the perfect summary of all of this. Uh, Paul says to the Romans under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That's not talking about the immortal body. That's talking about to the present mortal body, that the spirit will give life to your mortal bodies. So in this existence, we certainly know we're going to have eternal life. We're going to have a new body. We're going to have an eternal existence. We'll never die again. But even in this existence, in our mortal body, the spirit can give life to this existence. How does that look? It looks like this. Presenting life, Jesus, to others, whether they be your brothers and sisters in Christ, unbelievers, acknowledging, believing, digesting his word in your own life brings you life um, and, and, and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that he lives because his spirit lives in you he lives in you the creator, the giver of life lives in you Romans chapter 8 verse 11 tremendous verse on the resurrection so finally um, let's let's um, I'm going to read you Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, and then we're going to pray according to it because it's a great prayer. Um, Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Honestly, 
ask yourself, how many times have I actually prayed, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? And yet here's the scripture telling us that's what, that's how we need to pray. We don't need to know Christ. That's great. That's good. And the power of his resurrection. Maybe this will change your walk with Christ in a powerful way. Maybe understanding the purpose of, of why God wants you to know the power of the resurrection will change the way you walk in faith. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that we want to know Christ and we want to know the power of his resurrection. And we want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. We want to be conformed to him and to, in, in his death. And so somehow we attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord, we want to be transformed, as your word says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. We want to be transformed into the image of your son, your faithful son, who carried out your will, suffering and dying on the cross, who rose from the dead, Lord, we want to know the power of Christ and the power of his resurrection. And Lord, we, we give ourselves to you this day and we pray, Lord, that we would glorify you from this day on as we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for watching. Have a great week.